Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. My name is Ross Simmons. I'm a digital marketing strategist and the founder of Foundation Marketing, a company that has operated fully remote since 2014, engaging and working with some of the most ambitious brands in the world, while also employing some of the most ambitious and hungry people that I have ever connected with at Foundation, some of the brightest minds in the wonderful world of SaaS. Super excited to be here and super excited to share with your guests and your hosts um, and everyone who's listening today. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the Remote Work Drive podcast, Ross. To kind of dive in, tell me what's the most exciting thing you're up to um, at Foundation these days? Yeah, every single day is exciting because we have a unique opportunity to have a team that's spread out all over the globe, working with brands that are spread all over the globe. So we specialize directly in SaaS and amidst a lot of the current chaos that is happening in the tech industry, um, we work with some brands that are still striving to create content that shapes culture within their industries and within their spaces. So what we are working on today that is the most exciting is working with the partners, working with our clients on a day-to-day basis to create pieces of content, tell stories in unique ways that stand out um, and ultimately allow them to achieve their goals and KPIs for the quarter. One of the biggest innovations that we've started to tap into um, is of the rise of artificial intelligence and incorporating that into our workflows and the ways that we um, are serving and partnering with our partners. It's not something that we view as a replacement to writers, to creators, to designers, or anything like that. It's something that we view as a true augmentation tool to allow us to be more effective, be better, to be um, more innovative. In many ways, it's the same way that Tony Stark has his Iron Man suit. We believe that AI is kind of operating in a same lens where it gives us the ability to simply do things a little bit differently. So I would say the most exciting thing that we're tapping into right now um, is a blend of the AI side, but more than anything, just the ambitious brands that we're working with still striving to make amazing impacts in their industries and in their spaces. I love that. Part of what we said about AI and can you maybe talk about one of the most exciting things that you've implemented in the last you know, three to six months when it comes to AI? Yeah, so I would say the most interesting thing that we've been able to embrace with AI today is the usage of it in terms of getting a piece started. So a lot of folks um, think that AI, and some people have used AI to completely write an actual blog post. From my perspective, is that when you are creating a piece of content, AI's best role is to get you started. You can use AI to give you ideas, to give you a sense of this is the direction in which you should go. This is the framework for a piece that you could develop. It's really an inspiration tool. And across the board at Foundation, we've started to leverage AI AI as an inspiration tool and as a launching point that we can use to get closer to a final product and a final asset that we can be proud of. So it takes time, um, but Overall, the key is really understanding that AI is that tool to help you get started. It's not going to take you all the way through to the finish. Yeah, that's so well said. Can you maybe speak a little bit to what your team structure looks like today at Foundation? Yeah, so happy to. Our team structure is um, a blend, is fully remote. That's the one element of it that I would say um, we're most proud of. Starting from the early days of 2014, we've been fully remote. And we have a blend of essentially 
four key roles. Um, we have a senior leadership team. We have directors who lead the actual development of strategies and the guidance of the team, coaching the team, training the team, working directly with partners to identify new opportunities and areas of business for them. Then we have a level of strategists and these strategists are essentially working closely with our clients and our partners on identifying their KPIs, identifying the goals that they're looking to achieve, and then build strategies that are rooted in research around three core pillars, creation, distribution, and optimization. On the creation end, we're talking about things like blog posts, infographics, Twitter threads, carousels, those types of things, any type of content asset that can be created, a podcast, a YouTube video, we are developing those assets and the strategist identifies the topics, the types of content that we should create and works directly with specialists and producers to develop these individual assets. In parallel to that, we have a track in a lane of distribution. In the distribution realm, the way that we view it is both from a social media lane as well as an SEO lane. We believe that distribution is one of the things that most organizations sleep on and don't really view as a key part of their marketing strategy. A lot of content marketing agencies agencies and a lot of content marketing um, companies have gotten to a point where we believe they forgot about the word marketing and they stopped marketing the content that they actually produce. So what our strategists do in partnership with specialists and producers is to actually identify ways to distribute the content that is being created. This is typically happening through organic channels, things like Reddit, through Quora, through various communities, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Facebook groups, through Twitter, through YouTube. YouTube, through Instagram Reels, you name it, we're taking assets that the team is producing and then distributing them and finding ways to remix them, revise them, and turn them into new assets. In addition to that, when we think about distribution, we're talking about things like backlink reclamation, backlink outreach, acquisition of links to increase the SERP visibility of the content. And then the final element that the strategists work directly on is that optimization bucket. And when we think of optimization, we're typically thinking about it in two two key areas, either search engine optimization, where we're trying to better understand how we can create something that is going to show up in the search engine results page and is worth showing up in the search engine results page. And then the final element of optimization is conversion rate optimization. So if we're creating a piece of content, are we ensuring that this piece of content is optimized to drive conversion with our audience and the people we're looking to sell to? I love that. And I have a lot of follow-up questions that I'm going to ask, but I'm actually going to shift gears a little bit first, because when something that kind of stood out to me is you've been basically building an agency since 2014, almost a decade now, been fully remote the whole time. How has kind of your approach to leading your team and or just your team structure changed within the last nine years? So one of the fundamentals that has actually stayed the same is the importance of strong documentation and strong communication. When I first got started with Foundation, it was essentially rawsimmons.com and I was starting to get ridiculously busy and I was working late into the evenings and I was like, this isn't going to be sustainable. I need to build a team. And before I made my first hire, I locked myself into a room and I recorded probably about 20 to 30 videos talking through my processes and the ways in which that things are done at rawsimmons.com at the time. 
that content and that actual process allowed me to start creating systems that I could then onboard my first two hires to do. And when they came on, they went through and watched all of these recordings and they were starting to actually understand the way that things were done in, at the time, this one person business. At Foundation Today, we have embraced this continuous model of documenting the things that you do. If you do something twice, record a loom, upload it to our internal um, systems so the team can come back to it so they can learn, document, 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 um, record looms, record content, make sure that everyone can easily access um, documentation surrounding various tasks. It could be as simple as how do you send an invoice? It could be as complex as how do you do an in-depth analysis of um, the top 20 SaaS brands and use this to reverse engineer what our backlink strategy should be, blah, blah, blah. We have looms for all of that. We have recordings for all of that to help the team better understand how to navigate any situation. Even if it's how do you have a difficult conversation with the client. We have documentation on this, um, looms and recordings on this, so people can understand the way to do it. So the documentation piece is very key. Over the few years in which things have changed and we've seen so much significant change in the market, I would say for me, the biggest shift that has happened um, as a leader is the ability to take a step back from always being the person doing that recording and allowing the organization and the, the great people that we have on the team start to produce those training materials, produce those assets. Because I'm no longer the smartest person on the team. I no longer know every element of everything um, that happens within the business. We have some great people who are better than me today at SEO, great people who are better than me at distribution. And it is not on me to develop that content anymore. It's now the team's um, responsibility to do it. And I am able to benefit because I can learn from them as well. So that is one of the biggest shifts It's as someone who started the process of documentation, the team has really taken the initiative to start doing it on their own and start recording the content. And every single day I get excited because I see different teammates, different colleagues and peers uploading content, um, training one another and cross supporting each other with documentation and videos to ensure that Two years from now, that person could go off and be at another company. They could go off and um, do their own thing. But the company itself, foundation, the team, the organization will forever be grateful for that person because they left behind some training materials, some documentation around processes that will continue to embrace for years to come. So that has been a major shift. Um, is It's no longer required of me to be always the person recording. Um, but now we also have a team that has taken the ball and is running with it. I love that. And there's like six follow-up questions I'm going to ask when it right. relates to documentation. But you said something at the very beginning that, that was really interesting where it's like, hey, I realized I was too busy. I needed to like hire. But before I did that, I like locked myself in a room and recorded a whole bunch of videos. I don't know if it was Loom at the time or some other tool. Yeah. How did you go about identifying which videos to record? And how did you go? And then also, how did you go about figuring out who to hire? Good question. So um, the first piece, which was identifying what videos to record first, um, I wanted to figure out what was the high, the easiest thing for me to replicate um, with a new hire. So I envisioned in my mind someone who is fresh out of school. They are joining my company because they want to join someone who's um, they followed or they're interested in working with me, et cetera. What is something that I can teach almost anyone to do? And that that thing 
was my circle of genius, which was written word. I can create great content from a written word perspective, and I believe I can train anyone to be able to think and create great content. So I focused on that, how to write a great lead, how to write a captivating headline, how to craft a great piece of content, how to create a great conclusion, all of those different things made up these recordings, then how to share this with a client, how to follow up with a client, how to respond to feedback from a client. I focused on at the time, the most consistent type of work that they would be doing, which was content production. And then from there, I ensured that they went through the systems to kind of learn it. When it came to identifying who to hire, for me, it was a combination of two key things. One, what could I afford um, as a solopreneur? And then two, what is something that um, I no longer really need to do. What does not need my circle of genius to unlock growth for our business overall? And that was producing content for clients. If I could train someone to create content at an 85% of what I could as it relates to content creation, then I was fairly confident that the clients would still be very happy with the output and the deliverables um, on that work. So that was the first step. Let's identify something that is replaceable that I can bring someone in, train them. Um, and then two, what is the salary range that I can actually afford? When I first got started, there was no way I could afford someone who had 10 years of experience in marketing and could come into the company and start teaching me how to do things. I needed someone who was in that season of their life where they wanted to learn and they wanted to take a chance on a up-and-coming startup, an up-and-coming entrepreneur to kind of say, all right, this is where I want to be. I'm going to learn a ton from Ross. So I found those people, brought them in and was able to afford their salary, et cetera. And you fast forward six or so years and they're still with me today. And they've had amazing growth within the company. And it's again, because they took that early shot to be with um, an up and coming entrepreneur. So long story, getting a little bit longer, it came down to budget. It came down to what is something that someone can learn quickly and then add value to our clients and our partners with. And then finally, something that I believed was a transferable skill from myself to them. Um, and let's ensure that that is what is being taught. Yeah, I love that. And you said something really interesting, which was if I could get people to do it at 85% of what I was going to do it at, why right. 85%? For me, I think every entrepreneur, if you're in the service industry anyways, is probably found product market fit and happy customers, high EM NPS scores, where people are very happy with what you're doing. Um, and it's difficult to go from a point in your career where you're like, yeah, I'm really good at this, um, but it's probably okay for someone else to do it slightly different from me. And even if it is slightly different, it doesn't always hit the mark exactly the way I envisioned my clients will still be happy. The people I work with will still be happy. And once you've reached that threshold of excellence where every single piece that you create is always a hit and people always love it, that to me is the sweet spot where you can say, you have cracked excellence with your work. Now is an opportunity for you to train and develop other people so they can learn your way of doing things. And eventually they will get to excellent. In the short term, they might be at 85%, but 85% means that 85% of the time, you're going to get a thumbs up that this was great. And the rest of the time, you might have a few revisions and edits that need to be done, but that's not a substantial amount to a point where a client is going to churn or walk away from your business. So 
you then identify, okay, I've gotten this person to an 85%. Let me train them, let me develop them. And then let's kind of continue to iterate and grow. One of the unique things about foundation compared to a lot of companies is we also have our own brands. And what we're able to do and what we did with a lot of our early hires is we train them on the brands that we have in house. So we have media companies, media sites that we run, we have um, e-commerce brands that we run, and we're able to have the team fine tune their skills and their craft on projects that we run. So they're able to fail, they're able to struggle, they're able to learn the, the, the industry without having that public failure in front of a client. So they can write a piece of content for one of our brands and it fall flat on its face and then have a conversation one-on-one with their people leader around, okay, this is why this asset didn't actually work so well. Let's have a conversation around how we could try to improve the headline. Let's have a conversation around how we can improve the call to action at the end. There's a bit of a training process that they're able to go through upfront to fine tune their skills to get to that 85% before they're thrown in the ring with the clients and the partners that we work with. That's super smart. And how long were you a true solopreneur before you started to hire? I've been an entrepreneur for a very long time. So doing the marketing thing, it was probably about two years. Um, But I started my first business when I was in high school selling do-rags out of my locker. I have always loved entrepreneurship. I've run multiple companies. I've run an events company called Dreamer, where we took young professionals rock climbing, skydiving, and a bunch of other experiences. Um, I've run cleaning companies. I've run companies where we sell cleaning cloths. I've ran fantasy football blogs. I have done a lot of different things. I just love creating things. I'm an entrepreneur at heart, um, and it's probably related to um, just like my constant curiosity of different things and trying to experiment and tinker with different things. So um, rawsimmons.com would have started probably right after university. Um, I had a fantasy football blog, but my marks started to drop, and my mom told me to start writing about what I was learning in school, and I started to write about marketing. And then um, I'll never forget, I got an email from a, a Fortune 500 company, and they were like, hey, we love this piece that you created on how to market to millennials. And you fast forward, like two weeks later, I was getting flown out to this, this event with a bunch of CMOs to speak when I was like 22 years old. And the light bulbs went off in that moment that, okay, this marketing thing is actually going to unlock a lot of new opportunities for me. I live in a small place called uh, Nova Scotia. A lot of people listening might not have any clue where that is. It's on the East coast of Canada, populations less than a million people. And there's not, there was at the time when I broke into the industry, not a lot of things happening in the wonderful world of tech and SaaS companies and things of that nature. And I created foundation remote intentionally because I knew that I wanted to raise my family here. I wanted to stay here. I wanted to live here, but I also wanted to be able to work with some of the brightest minds in the world. And I didn't believe that you had to be in one of the top cities in the world, so to speak, um, to do that. So today, Foundation has employees all over the globe, whether it's folks in Africa, whether it's folks in Ireland, whether it's folks all across Canada, the US, um, we're constantly bringing in remote talent and great people, great minds um, to support our goal of creating content that shapes culture. Yeah, I love that. How do you build team collaboration and just create a great culture when you are when you have your team spread out across so many different time zones? Yeah, so a lot of entrepreneurs might come on a podcast and say, it's all me. I created these systems. I create this culture, et cetera. 
But at the end of the day, it just comes down to the people. You have to try to find the right people. And it is really, really hard. It's very difficult to do. Uh, I'm not perfect at it, but I feel like one of the, the biggest the biggest opportunity is to ensure that you are very intentional with the people that you bring onto your team. Um, and we have a great team and we have great people who have worked at foundation in the past and great people who work at foundation today. And I'm hopeful that we can continue to find great people because it's the great people who actually work together, who meld, who collaborate, who connect and embrace the values of extreme ownership, embrace the values of like digging the work and actually caring about the work that we do on a regular basis and just being good old fashioned geeks about the internet. It's that mentality that allows it all to work. You can create as a founder, all of the systems, all of the procedures, you can reiterate your values as many times as you want, but if you don't have the right people around you to um, actually move forward together and collaborate, it doesn't work. It just won't happen. So the key is really just the people. You find good people and they will take care of the rest. And that has been kind of our mantra at Foundation. Um, find great people, give them the guardrails, give them the tools, give them the training and development opportunities to thrive, and they will take care of the rest. And it's been, uh, it's been effective so far. That's such a great point. What are some of the ways that you refined your hiring process to be able to really find like the top talent you can for the any role that you're hiring for. Yeah. So one of the things that we like to do up front is I'm going to give away a few tips and tricks for those who are applying to work at foundation um, is we're very intentional about the details. So with our job descriptions, we always ask specific things to be done. And if those specific things are done, then you automatically will move to the next round. Um, we're able to very quickly qualify and disqualify individuals by whether or not they pay attention to the details. That's a, an Easter egg on each job posting that everyone can kind of go and look for when they're deciding whether or not they should apply to work at foundation. From there, one of the biggest shifts that we've had um, is to really value and embrace the idea that when we are going through the process, we have a scorecard. And a scorecard essentially identifies the key things that we're looking for in different roles, demonstrating experience and demonstrating an appetite for certain skills and talents that are necessary to do the job. And then we use that scorecard to determine whether or not someone is the right fit for that role in that specific um, avenue that we're hiring for. It's based off of the who method. I'm not a hundred percent sure what the author's name is, um, but we use what is called the who method for our hiring process. Yeah. I love that. And I know you have a, like a senior leadership team within foundation. How did you kind of manage managers and kind of teach them this process for hiring? Yeah. Great question. So we have a full-time um, recruiter on the team who leads talent. Um, and what they're able to do is they're also coaching and training managers and teammates on a regular basis on how to recruit, how to run an interview process, how to manage an interview process. Um, they run a very, um, a very tight process around that. In terms of leading the leaders I always say like, you're never a leader until you create more leaders. And what it comes down to, to actually make that happen is coaching and asking a lot of questions, providing and leading by example, um, and then giving folks the ability to 
be comfortable making a few mistakes and then making sure that you're there to support them and help them navigate any challenges that might occur. And then being the biggest cheerleader that you can be. I do believe that that's also an underrated thing is that you need to be the cheerleader for your team um, and celebrate your team frequently and often. And it doesn't shouldn't come from a place of, oh, if I celebrate people, it's going to increase my bottom line. It should come from the fact that if you celebrate people, then they're going to get the flowers that they deserve. And as a result of it, um, everybody's going to be in a state of a win-win. So um, I believe celebrating the people teaching through action, um, creating a space where people are able and comfortable to actually struggle and have a, a few challenges in, in public is okay. Uh, and then from there, ensuring that the team is constantly being trained and taught by experts, people who are actually experts in the recruiting and interviewing process, which is why, again, we have a director of talent responsible for that uh, function within the company. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And you said something interesting that's going to be a little bit off topic, but you said like you're not really a leader until you train Create. and cultivate additional leaders. Can yeah. you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it's every, you can create a company and think, oh, I'm a leader, look at me. I've launched a company and now I'm a leader. It's not that simple. If you think of some of the greatest leaders of all time in history, in real life, like even outside of our world of marketing and content and business, like real life leaders, those people inspire the next generation, they inspire their peers, their colleagues to be a better version of themselves. And I think that is the greatest gift that anyone can give anyone is the idea that they can be better and then enough of an idea and enough inspiration to actually make them pursue it. And as a leader, the goal should not be always, oh, I need to just hit my profit numbers. I need to increase revenue. I need to increase the bottom line. The goal should be to elevate the team. It should be to elevate the people around you so they are better, so they are thriving, so they are winning. Um, and if you do that, they are going to have the same impact on the next group of people. They're going to have that impact on the managers. And then the managers will feel like they're growing and they're leading and they're developing. And you will never actually see the impact of your own labor. You will never actually see the decades of impact that you can have on people by being a true leader. If you can make one person a leader and they can even leave your company, they could go off and work at another company. They could never talk to you again. They might never stay engaged, but they learned enough from you that they know how to lead now. They're inspired. They feel good. They have a massive impact on, let's say, five other people. One of those five people could happen to be from a background or an ecosystem assist situation that was less than privileged, was less than ideal. And they ultimately feel inspired by this leader that you impacted 5, 10, 15 years ago. That person then impacts another leader. That person impacts their youth, their kids, their children, the family, the communities, et cetera. And then you have a decade or more of an impact that you will never actually see come to fruition. And I know that this answer is getting extremely long. And for a lot of people listening, they're probably thinking, okay, I have no idea where this is going, Ross. But the the key thing that allows me to get excited every single day is the idea that decades from now, I might not even be on this planet or breathing any air, but if I can positively impact people, it can have a ripple effect that lasts for years, decades to come. And I don't need those flowers because I know that the, the, the good in the world will continue after I take my last breath. And that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And that's so well said. Um, 
are there any books that have had a particularly big impact on how you've shaped your approach and philosophy towards leadership? Yeah, so Clayton Christensen um, wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And it's a book that I read every single year. It's a amazing classic. I would strongly recommend that everyone check it out. It started with a um, Harvard Business School essay, I believe, back in 2010. Um, and then it eventually became a book. And I would strongly encourage folks to listen to it. It covers all elements of success, whether you're thinking about it from a business lens or whether you're thinking about it from a personal lens, impact lens, uh, it covers all of it. And I found that book to be extremely valuable. If you're a visual learner and you just want to check out a, a YouTube video or two, he also did a TED talk, I believe, many years back um, that is highly valuable. But How Will You Measure Your Life is still, for me, one of the, the best books that I've ever read on leadership. And I would strongly encourage everyone to read it. And if you could go back to when you hired your very first person at Foundation, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself back then, knowing what you know now? Yeah. Um, if I could go back into time and talk to that young whippersnapper just getting started, it would be um, stop being afraid. Um, I was very afraid that it was all going to crumble. And I would say for a long period of time, I would have operated from a state of fear more so than a state of abundance. And because of that, I didn't hire other hires fast enough. I didn't move quickly to bring on more people. Um, there are great people out there. And if you are in the early days and you're hesitant, I would say, ask yourself and question all of your preconceived beliefs on whether or not you are moving fast enough second guess whether or not you are hesitating because of stories that you're telling yourself or stories that are actually rooted in reality and make decisions that scare you and be okay making decisions that scare you. Um, that would be the biggest advice I would go back and tell myself back then. Well said. Different, how have you learned to differentiate between, let's say, stories of fear versus stories of actual reality? Yeah. It takes a lot of deep thinking um, and deep perspective um, with intention. And what I mean by that is, I believe you have to sometimes be okay sitting in silence and just gathering your thoughts. Um, you, I've practiced yoga for many years and I have found it to be an amazing exercise of kind of just perspective and gaining um, additional insight and clarity around very difficult problems and challenges that I might come across. And I think you just have to be comfortable taking some moments in time to just sit back, reflect, and then ask yourself difficult questions. Ask yourself, literally, is this coming from a place of fear or is this coming from a place of reality? What are some of the things that I think about often that might be incorrect? What stories am I telling myself that are actually stories that I was told by other people that are informing my decision-making? What limiting beliefs are holding me back today that no longer serve me? What things allowed me to get through trauma in the past that no longer serve me in the future? Those are the types of questions that you have to sit on and reflect because some of those limiting beliefs may have gotten you where you wanted to be, but they no longer serve you for where you want to go next. And that is the key that you always have to be twisting to ask yourself, 
am I still holding on to old beliefs that are limiting the future me? Yeah, absolutely. And I was like to kind of say that I kind of sometimes joke about it, that like becoming an entrepreneur is probably the best and fastest way to grow, grow like in terms of personal development, as well as like career development. 100%. It is a wild, wild ride. 100%. And along those same lines, do you have any example of a time where you had to like work past a limiting belief and how were you able to do that? Yeah, I think the biggest limiting belief that I originally had was that no one would want to work with the person in Nova Scotia. Um, that if you live in Nova Scotia, you are limited to working with people in that small little region. And when I got that email from a company outside of the like the country, outside of Canada, and they brought me down to Miami to speak at an event, it just like it smashed every belief. And I'll take it a little step further. It was the limiting belief for me was no one will want to work with a kid because at the time I was 20 something living in his parents' basement um, in a predominantly black community with no money. Like I was probably in overdraft at the time making 24K a year. No one's going to want to work with this kid. Nobody's going to care what I have to say. I'm small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. And then I get that email and it just completely shifted my entire worldview on everything. And it changed my life because it opened my eyes to be able to see not only am I able to work with people outside of my small town, I'm able to work with people on a global level who have created brands that influence millions of people. And I can do this from the corner of the globe that nobody really knows about. And that just completely shifted my entire perspective on life and removed many, many barriers and self-limiting beliefs that I would have told myself had I not gotten that email. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always, it's almost always like that, like one email or that one call or that maybe that yeah. first client or whatever that can almost shift a lot of different things in like negative self-talk that you give yourself. Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I can continue talking about limiting beliefs and leadership for a while, but I also want to be respectful of your time and also of our listeners' time. So before we wrap, I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. Let's do it. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Yeah. So I would say Reginald Lewis. And a lot of folks aren't going to know who that is, but he was an American businessman. And in the 1980s, he was uh, the richest black millionaire. Um, and he was the first to create a billion dollar company. He, uh, he died young, um, but he had an amazing trajectory that was never fully seen through. Um, but if I could go back into time, it would be to have a conversation with, with uh, Reginald uh, Lewis. I love it. And along the same lines, and you can't say the answer you just shared, Um, But who is the current living business person or entrepreneur that you look up to the most? Ooh, that is a good one. Um, So the current entrepreneur that I look up to the most, um, that is a great question. I was going to, that is a tough one. Um, I'm going to say I have two. And one of them everyone is going to be familiar with, and that's Oprah. I love Oprah and what she's done with content. When I think about content that shapes culture, Oprah embodies that. She's created 
an empire on the back of amazing stories and pieces of content and has created more leaders. When you think of folks like Tyler Perry and all of those who have come out of Oprah's world, I think that's fascinating. Um, and then the second would be Robert Smith, who um, is in the private equity world. He runs Vista Equity Partners, uh, founded back in 2000. And he's done a lot of good uh, in local communities um, throughout the US and is a very aspirational and inspirational um, founder. And I'm going to throw in one more. I know I'm, I'm cheating here, um, but Melanie Perkins um, from Canva is also super inspiring. Um, I love uh, watching her journey and what she's been able to do over there. It's just been uh, fascinating to watch. Yeah, I love it. Um, it's been really great chatting with you on the Remote Work Drive podcast. Uh, Ross, where can listeners find you online? Yeah, so you can find me on rawsimmons.com. That's my go-to website where you can uh, find content on marketing and all of those good things. I also have a podcast that you can definitely check out called Create Like the Greats, where we break down some of the greatest creations and creators of all time. Would be happy to uh, connect with folks there. And of course, I'm on Twitter. If you type in Ross Simmons, you will find me. I'm at the coolest cool. Um, and Jessica, I want to thank you for having me. It's been a great chatting with you and I appreciate all of the, the great things that you do for the industry and for the community. And I hope uh, we can continue to see great leadership within remote companies. And I look forward to listening to more of your episodes and uh, diving in even further with uh, the content you're creating. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com to learn more about remote work trends and insights.